Today's episode of Young, Dumb and Informed is brought to you by Swish. Personalised video messages from your favourite sports stars. Swish videos are the gifts that keep on giving, with 20% of all proceeds going to local children's charities. Hey, Billy. How are you going? Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. From the Daily Oz, I'm Billy Fitzsimons, and this is Young, Dumb and Informed. This is the podcast where we give you the starter pack for some of the biggest issues facing young people. On today's episode, we're talking about the housing market crisis. At the Daily Oz, we hear time and time again from our audience that they just don't believe that they will be able to buy a house in their lifetime given the surging prices we have seen across the country, particularly in the metropolitan areas. So we wanted to speak to the government, to the opposition and to a person who has personal experience with this to find out what the issue is and what they believe the solutions should be. The housing market has become a competitive sport where the winners make the most money and the losers are first home buyers and low income renters. We have policies, as I've already announced on the weekend and in the years prior to that, which are helping first home owners buy their first home. Labor has a policy that will erode the value of Australians' homes and push up people's rents. I've just been talking to people who were first home buyers, a doctor uh, just missed out on an auction for a one bedroom unit. It just shows how tough it is for people to get into housing. Look, we definitely have the highest level of first home owners since um, 2009. So we, we, we are doing well with first home owners and that's because we've put in place some effective programs when COVID hit, there were expert predictions that the market would slow down and it would become more affordable for all of us. But the opposite has happened. In the past year alone, the value of houses in Australia has increased by nearly 22% and in Sydney, it climbed by 30%. That stat is particularly stark when you compare it to the fact that wages for Australians only went up by about 2% in the same period. So it's unsurprising that we're seeing so many young people considering becoming lifetime renters simply because they can't afford a deposit. It's clear this is going to be a big election issue. At the end of the day, being able to buy a home is part of the Australian dream and it's slowly becoming the Australian nightmare. As always, I spoke to three different people with three different perspectives about this issue. Firstly, I interviewed Jason Falinski. He's from the Liberal Party, the party that is currently in government. And he's important when we talk about the housing market crisis because he's currently leading a parliamentary inquiry into housing affordability and supply in Australia. My name is Jason Falinski. I'm the member for McKellar, which means I sit in the federal parliament. I'm currently the chair of the House Standing Committee on Tax and Revenue, and we are conducting an inquiry into housing affordability and supply. So Jason Falinski is our voice from the government on this episode. And like always, I interview a politician on the opposite side of politics too. His name is Jason Clare, and he's the Shadow Minister for Housing and Homelessness. My name's Jason. I'm a dad and a father, but also a politician. Apologies for that. I, uh, I'm a local member of parliament in the western suburbs of Sydney. I represent the area of Bankstown and Auburn. 
uh, a really wonderful multicultural working class part of Australia. And I've also got the, the privilege to be part of the front bench of the Labor team. And I'm the shadow minister for housing and for homelessness. And lastly, I reached out to someone from the TDA audience about their experience of trying to enter the housing market. Don't worry, her name isn't also Jason. Her name is Courtney. My name's Courtney. I'm from Sydney and I'm a performer. Courtney has recently been trying to enter the housing market in Sydney. It's It's been really eye-opening how inaccessible the market is and how it's not just about what your job is and how much you earn. It's about where you fit in socioeconomically. So let's start with what all perspectives could agree on. And that's that A, there's a really big issue here. And B, the current government isn't doing enough to help young people enter the housing market. When I got on the phone to Jason Flinsky, my first question was, do you think the government is doing enough to encourage young people to enter the housing market? His answer, no. No, I don't. The, the real key, what makes this so unforgivable is that Australia has some of the highest average weekly earnings in the world. Our minimum wage is 35% higher than the next highest minimum wage. We have more land than you can poke a stick at. We're the least densely populated continent in the world outside the South Pole. We literally have enough land to build apartments, houses, anything you want on, and we have enough money to afford those houses, but we have systematically, through frankly greed, ineptitude, inaction, and just massive regulatory failure, created a housing market that is as unaffordable as Singapore and Hong Kong. And that's why I think that this is nothing short of intergenerational theft. So that was Jason Flinsky. The other Jason, Jason Clare, didn't exactly fill me with hope either. Well, you know, the government's been in power now for almost a decade and it's it's not getting easier to buy a house. It's getting harder and not just to buy. It's harder to rent than ever before. And there are more homeless Australians today than ever before. House prices haven't just gone up. Rents have gone up through the roof. And a lot of people listening to this podcast who you know, dream of one day owning a home, be seeing those prices going up and, and be thinking, how do I save a deposit to buy a house when so much of my income every week goes in rent. If you're new to learning about the housing market, the core issues can get lost in economic jargon. So to put it as simply as possible, there's an issue of supply and demand. There's too many people at the auctions all competing for the same properties, and that's causing the prices to skyrocket. Whilst we are seeing surging prices across metropolitan cities in Australia, it's also an issue that we're seeing across regional Australia. I was in the south coast of New South Wales yesterday and there's towns there where the cost of buying houses jumped by 50% just in the last year. And that makes it harder and harder for young people who are trying to buy their first home to get the first home. And we're seeing that in the statistics because there's been a drop in the number of first home buyers buying a home this year as prices have gone up. Our voice from the government on this episode, Jason Falinski, talks about the extreme lack of supply as being the primary concern. And you might find it interesting, as I did, that in the interview with Jason Falinski, he was quite critical of the government he's a part of. So because we have a planning system that restricts supply and also makes it difficult for people 
to build new houses. And we have a situation where anytime there's increase in demand, which is what happened about 18 months ago when the Reserve Bank cut interest rates pretty much close to zero, instead of that going into increased supply, it all went into increased price, which made housing yet more unaffordable. In the long term, though, what we know from econometric analysis going back to about the mid-80s, uh, it was around about 1985 that we started producing less houses than people were demanding. And so it's around about that point that you start to see, well, growth in house prices depart from underlying inflation. Okay, so that was a bit complex, but to put it more simply, 30 years ago when demand for housing grew, people built more houses. Today, because of how hard it is to get approval for building a new house, it's more likely that people will just bid more for a house that already exists, putting upwards pressure on house prices. And that's why 35 years later, you have a housing shortage in Sydney alone of about 110,000 houses. And nationwide, it's about 200,000. And if you listen to some of the social housing providers, they would tell you between now and 2035, we will be about a million houses short in sort of affordable housing for people trying to enter the market. So it seems pretty clear that we have an understanding of what's driving the housing prices up. Can you explain what the inquiry is actually doing to look at the solutions? So I, I, I would probably rudely but humbly disagree with you. I think that we don't actually have a fair understanding about what is driving house prices or most of the commonly accepted wisdom around the drivers of house and property prices in Australia are completely and absolutely misunderstood. We don't actually want to deal with what are some of the really difficult issues in front of us, which actually means taking on some entrenched interest groups in this area. And so the result of that is, is that we just get a housing market that every year becomes a little bit less affordable, every year fewer people can buy into it, every year someone else gets blamed and a new theory arises, but we don't deal with the underlying long-term fundamental driver of price increases in Australia. Okay, let's turn our attention to what the government is currently doing for young people. The first home loan deposit scheme is one of the key areas of policy for the federal government when it comes to helping young people enter the market. This is an initiative to help first home buyers purchase their first home sooner. So usually the rule to borrow money from the bank for a home loan is you need to save 10%. So if you want to buy a $500,000 property, you'll need $50,000. Under this first home loan deposit scheme though, you can have a deposit of 5%. So in this case, you'd only need $25,000 instead of $50,000. It also means that the government will play the role of guarantor instead of a family member, which essentially means that that person promises to pay back the entire loan if the borrower can't. So it's just like a security blanket. There are some requirements on the properties. For example, in Melbourne, the property you use the scheme on can't be more than $700,000. But those are the basics. It seems great. But the scheme is capped. There are only 10,000 spots available in the scheme per financial year. 
Courtney actually tried to apply for the scheme this year, but she missed out. There, there are no more spots for the first home buyers. Like if you're a first home buyer, there's no more spots right now. And I mean, you can, if you want to buy a new dwelling or like something like that, I mean, there are spots available, but this, this gift that the government sort of gave or that the pathway in for the people like me who have unstable and uncertain incomes the majority of the time, yeah, that sort of, that's been sort of taken taken away at least until the middle of next year so I don't know like it's, it's one thing to be able to have saved a little bit of money I mean at least for the first time in my life I've never really been able to like I mentioned before like I, I sort of help support my family in other ways and I've not really been able to do that saving and now it's like oh like I'm on my way and now the the pathway to get there has been sort of snatched away again the government does have the capacity to make access easier and yeah, I just it's a real choice to not be doing that. And I think it's cruel to have only a certain number of places for a scheme that is not exhausted by the amount of participants that have put their hand up for it. So, so as we keep saying, there's a federal election coming up, meaning it's a popular time for the government and the opposition to talk about what new policies they will introduce to entice voters. Jason Falinski wouldn't exactly say, though, if the government would remove these caps. We do need policies in place that actually reshuffle the deck to give first-home buyers a leg up. And what that looks like is, you know, whether it's access to um, people's super for a deposit on their first home and their first home only, I think is an idea worth pursuing. I think it's worth pursuing whether what sort of incentives the federal government provides for people who are buying their first home. So just to clarify, do you think the government should remove those caps? Um, Look, uh, I don't want to preempt the outcome of our inquiry, but it is certainly something that we'd be looking at, yes. Jason Clare, on the other hand, said if Labor were to win the next election, they would get rid of these caps. So this is one of the big differences between the two parties when we're looking at what their policy will be in the lead up to the next election. If we win the next election, we'd expand that scheme. It's capped at the moment. It only helps 10,000 people to get a mortgage sooner without having to pay mortgage insurance if you want to build a new house. Uh, We've said that we would get rid of the cap on that scheme because that would do two things. It would help people to buy a home sooner without having to pay mortgage insurance, which for people who don't know is a really big cost. That is a really awful surprise you get when you you sign up to a mortgage. You realise you've got to pay this $10,000 as well. But it would also actually help the construction industry. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people that are employed in building houses and making materials for houses. So it would do two things by lifting that scheme. But even with this help, it doesn't take away from the fact that the competitive housing market is in large part due to cashed up, traditionally older investors. So while so many young people are trying to enter the market, they're coming up against people who already have multiple properties under their belt. Even with the first home loan deposit scheme, young people like Courtney are getting priced out. And so have you found that the other people looking at the same properties as you are investors? Absolutely. I've not seen too many sort of young people at these inspections, yeah, they seem to be investors or, they, or if they're my age, they already own a property and it's a good financial decision for them. Where, whereas I'd like just one, please. <laughs> Could I have, just let me have one. Can you just back off? Thanks. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back. 
Whoa, housing. That's a bit dark. Uh, well, it's just me. My name's Sam. I am the co-founder of The Daily Oz. Jumping in here to send a message to my girlfriend. If she's listening right now, what I want for Christmas is actually a video from Swish. I'm really not fussy. I am super easygoing, but I would love a video from Josh Kennedy from The Swans telling me to have a Merry Christmas. And despite it not being The Swans year, we're going to keep cracking on in 2022. All you got to do is jump onto heyswish.com. I've left a link and a discount code. It's TDA10 for you in the show notes. You'll donate 20% of the money to a local children's charity, but most of all, you'll make me really happy for Christmas. Love you. Now, there was a potential policy that Labor has previously promised to help solve this, and that's called negative gearing. This is a strategy used by investors to reduce tax. It's admittedly a bit of a confusing term, but it's basically the situation where the cost of owning an investment property, so your mortgage repayments, is more than the rent you're earning from a tenant. So essentially, you're losing money by owning that home. But investors do this for tax benefits because they can deduct that loss from their salary. Over the last two elections, the Labor Party said that if they were to get into government, they would reduce how many people could negatively gear their investment properties. So this means you would be competing against significantly less investors for a property that already exists. So that's what Labor promised at the previous elections, but this year they announced they were scrapping it altogether. According to Jason Clare, it was part of the reason they lost those elections. Well, we took it to the last election. We actually took it to the election uh, before that as well. And we lost both elections. We got tailed up in both of those elections. You've got to, after each and every election, look at what you took to the electorate, what people said about it, what they thought about it, and learn from that, learn from your mistakes. One of the things as we looked at the results of the last election was that uh, this was something that not a lot of voters, or not every voter, wanted. And so learning from that mistake, we're not going to take that to the next election. I do just want to stay on this point for a second because I think that this is one of my key takeaways from speaking with politicians about the housing market. The Labor Party had this policy that was designed to benefit young people and to help first home buyers crack into the market. But what they found was that this policy wasn't popular with voters across all age groups, so they dumped it for the upcoming election. In this example of negative gearing, what we've ended up with is a situation where the major parties, regardless of what they actually believe in is the right policy, will only go to an election with policies they think they can win with. In this case, it means we're missing out on a policy that would really help young people. So my question to Jason Clare is what will Labor offer instead? The problem hasn't gone away. The the, the problem that we were trying to fix was to try to make it easier for young people to buy a home. That hasn't got easier in the last three years. In fact, it's got harder as those prices for housing have gone up, as rents have gone up and as wages have remained flat. But there are other ways to be able to to fix this, to, to shift the dial, to help young people to buy a home. That's what we're working on right now. We'll have more to say about that in the election next year. So removing negative gearing completely, what would the Labor Party do if they are elected at the next election for young people trying to enter the housing market? Well, I think there's lots that we need to do. It starts with the federal government playing a leadership role here. Believe it or not, the federal government housing minister doesn't even meet with state government housing ministers or local governments. 
to talk about what are some of the solutions to make housing more affordable. And so much of the solution lies with what state governments and local governments do. You need the federal government working with state governments, looking at how you can make changes to planning laws and releasing land uh, to be made available for housing if you're going to fix this. And you also need the federal government to be more involved in actually building housing, uh, building affordable housing. And the current federal government puts its hands up and says, no, that's not its job. That's just the state government's job to do that. I think that's wrong. We've said, if we win the next election, we'll set up a $10 billion fund called the Housing Australia Future Fund. It's $10 billion that's invested. And the dividend from that, the revenue that it makes, is used to invest in building affordable housing uh, and social housing. Now, let's look at what Falinski believes an ideal housing policy would look like. As you're about to hear, Falinski suggests building new houses on new land and making them affordable, rather than bringing down the prices of existing houses in really popular locations. Planning laws are probably the first place to begin. The second place to begin is probably something around demand incentives. So how you actually incentivise people into the housing market and what that looks like and how you can ensure that that's actually benefiting buyers that you want to get into the housing market as opposed to vendors who are trying to sell them houses. And it also probably needs to be less centrally planned as well. Like I totally understand that planners are trying to make sure that we have very livable areas, um, sustainable housing, etc. And that's important. But I think that they have stepped over the mark a lot as well and they end up in a situation where we start dictating to people what sort of houses they'll be living in rather than listening to them about what sort of houses they want to live in and it may not be what we think is in their best interest but ultimately it's up to them. What Falinski is talking about here is zooming out on the issue. The solution being posed is essentially about drawing people away from the big metropolitan centres where housing is super expensive and attracting them to regional centres that are just as good to live in. But everyone knows there needs to be attractive employment opportunities and resources like schools, hospitals and shops, just like in the big cities, and it's up to the government to incentivise that. For example, we've seen a lot of investment into Orange in regional New South Wales with the development of startup hubs and business centres. It's fair to say, though, it's going to take a lot more funding to attract some major companies with thousands of staff to relocate away from a metro centre. So where does this leave us as young people? Ultimately, we're being told that if we want to enter the housing market and not pay a million dollars for our first one-bedroom apartment, we have to look where the government is supporting affordable housing programs, which tends to be in regional areas. When I put this to Courtney, it was interesting to hear her consider it, but ultimately she said she'd want to return to the city. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about moving, but I would definitely, I mean, to be... Like, to be honest, like the idea of being in a property for six months to meet that minimum requirement to then turn it into an investment or something like that uh, is, is a really attractive idea. But yeah, I think I think people are finding, them, well, people like me, if I have a look at what's in my budget and that $650,000 budget, it's way up, like way, way up the coast or way, not, not even out west it's much further and yeah then it just becomes like you know could that could the money that I've saved for a deposit be better used to make other opportunities more viable I guess 
So where have we landed with this hot election topic? To sum it up, currently the government has schemes that are designed to help young people enter the housing market. But there are only limited spots and those schemes also don't help the driving factors that are causing housing prices to surge. On the opposition side, Labor says they will remove those caps and will also focus on building more affordable housing for those in lower socioeconomic areas. And this is all playing out against the backdrop of a seemingly unstoppable housing market. But my key takeaway is that housing market policies that are popular with young people aren't necessarily popular with older generations. And this does kind of make sense considering they make up a larger portion of the voter base. There are less voters between the ages of 18 to 35 than there are voters who are 35 to 100. Gutsy economic reform is a tough platform to take to the polls and we'll have to wait to see if either party listens to the concerns of young voters priced out of the housing market. But it's not all bad news. This election, we'll be looking closely for talk about intergenerational injustice, which is something we're hearing more and more about. Just recently, the CEO of the Graden Institute called for a parliamentary inquiry into intergenerational fairness. So perhaps the Australian dream can be brought back to life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Young, Dumb and Informed. If you liked this episode, send it to your friends, put it on your Instagram story or subscribe to wherever you're listening. And before you go, do you have a footy fanatic boyfriend like Sam? Or a netball-obsessed mum? Maybe a dad that is impossible to buy for? Coming up with the perfect Christmas gift for the one you love is never an easy task, so let me take away some of the stress for you. HeySwish.com gives you access to a wide range of sports stars who can send you a personalised message for the one you love. Jump onto HeySwish.com using the link in the show notes, pick your favourite player from an extensive list of sports stars, request anything and then Swish does the rest. Use the code TDA10 to get 10% off your next video.